Hello, Internet. My name is Spamoman, as always, your host of Drink to the Past, the only podcast that was once a world record holder in beers eaten. I misspelled world when I was typing out the ubiquitous opening monologue, so it says world. I feel like that as my integrity as a streamer requires that I be honest with the audience. Is that how that works? Am I a podcaster or a streamer? technically you are streaming a podcast yeah somehow that's, that's how that works anyways uh be sure to hit that uh subscribe button and ring the notification bell so you get notified every friday when we go live except for the last two fridays and maybe some of the other future fridays because i have shit going on all this month and it's making podcasting hard on fridays because it is hard to podcast when you are broken down on the side of the road in idaho uh, but speaking of road trips, I did get a new road trip hat, so you probably can't really see much of that. But uh, this is from Beachcrest Brewery, which is the brewery I went to after my buddy got married in Oregon, which is part of why I was on a road trip. Uh, and then, for Sean Drinks Something Stupid this week, I have my cool Yellowstone mug that I bought in Yellowstone. It has a moose. And uh, I decided that uh, I should create some sort of Yellowstone adjacent cocktail and I really had no idea what to do. This is a coffee mug so I had some extra coffee from this morning and I figured oh that'll work certainly and then I thought what do I have that is yellow and goes in a drink and the answer was apparently uh, instant lemonade powder and then I decided it should be on the rocks because Yellowstone get it ha ha and then uh, of course it needed to be boozy too so I was like, you know, as long as I'm putting lemonade powder in coffee, why don't I just find the booze that goes the least with whatever stupid shit I just made? So it's got some coconut rum in it. That coconut and lemonade powder. That actually doesn't sound like a... Th those two things at least don't sound like a terrible... And, and then you put it in coffee and, a, and put some ice in it and... and all bets are off. It's it's an abomination. That's why we call it Sean drinks something stupid. So, yeah, I am curious to see uh, how that ends up tasting. Huh? It's it's like lemonade first and then the coffee, which is weird because I expect to like get them both at the same time because they're in the same drink. But it's like one and then the other it's like the the lemonade kind of fades into coffee i don't taste the coconut rum at all i maybe i didn't put enough in i don't know that actually sounds pretty good this is not nearly as much of a dumpster fire as i thought it would be because it's like you get that kind of sweet tangy lemonade and then it just kind of mellows out and becomes that roasty flavor and in a weird totally fucked up way it somehow actually works this is like the first cocktail in a long time that i would like say this is not a totally shit cocktail <laughs> it's a weird ass cocktail but it's it's it not totally ass. shit very refreshing <laughs> anyways uh now that we've gone through sean drinks something stupid uh, shall we 
get into the other things we do on the podcast? I mean, of course we shall, because, you know, I'm the guy who runs the podcast, and that's that's what we're doing. Uh, what beer are you drinking this week, Chris? Got your I'm trusty go-to? a vanilla porter from Breckerton Ridge Brewery. All right. They're not awful, but I feel like since Breckenridge was bought out by Anheuser-Busch, their stuff is, like, kind of more watered down than I want it to be. It just tastes, like, cheaper. It's not a bad beer, though. It's, but it's it just tastes like a cheap version of a vanilla porter. It kind of does. But... It, it is cheap, so, you know, you can't argue too much, but you kind of can. I don't know. It's like, would I rather have the quality, or would I rather pay more for the beer? Usually the quality for me, but I, there is a time and place where I really like cheap beer. I mean, beer is kind of one of the pleasures in life. It's like, why would you cheap out on something you're drinking for the enjoyment? True. Um, yeah, I've got not Guinness, but it's in my Guinness glass because it comes in 16-ounce cans. Uh, this here stout, which is called Cow in a Coal Mine, which has this hilarious picture of a cow in a coal mining helmet. And that is why I bought it. Um, yeah, it's a milk stout brewed with uh, cacao nibs and vanilla. I, I picked this up also on my road trip as I was coming back through... Um, Montana. This is by Glacier Brewing, which is apparently in Poison, Montana, which is like a cool name for a town. Who the hell names their town Poison? That is that is a cool name for a town. This one's for you, Poison Montana Inns, Mont Montana Nights, Montana Montaners, Montaneers, Montaneers. We're going with Montaneers. If, if anybody from Montana is, is watching this, please comment and tell me what the fuck you guys are called. It's it's okay. I, like, I'm not, like, mad that I don't know your word because I am far more mad when people come to Colorado and they're like, are you a Coloradoan? And I'm like, the fuck did you just say? How, how, how can that be, like, the go-to term for non-Colorado people? Like, it just sounds dumb. Like, don't you just get dumber for saying Coloradoan or hearing Colo it? Coloradian. Coloradian. I think Coloradan is acceptable and guy from Colorado is acceptable. <laughs> that Those are the things. Anywho, uh, what you playing, Chris? Uh, as long as we're on the topic of what you're playing a little bit, we, we aren't yet, but we could be on the topic and you are playing something and our streaming audience might be interested to know, uh, why you are fucking the library. Uh, why I am fucking the library? Yeah, what? because this game is called FTL, which stands for fuck the library as we have gone over, right? Oh yeah, I'm playing FTL for the, uh, labor movement. I don't know. That, that's... I'd say team me up again, but I don't think frosty I'm gonna, honestly do. Yeah, frosty tipper. There you go. Uh, so faster than light. Fungal uh, toe lice. Gross. Faster than light is a roguelike game. I I picked this up 
uh, several years ago, back when I was still in college, but still remains fun. It's you're basically, it's basically as if you were piloting a starship uh, with different people assigned to different systems, except for you're playing with the Empire this time, and the rebels are actually the evil ones, and you're trying to race ahead and warn. Uh, the rest of the Empire of the oncoming Rebel fleet. Hmm. Neat. So that's pretty fun. I've also been playing a shit ton of Dota. Uh, let's see. I picked up a game called Dungeons 3, which is kind of like the old... It's like a dungeon-making game that I think was based off another series of games that isn't really around anymore. Hmm. Uh, that, I, that, that seems kind of fun, but it's like you're the evil dungeon overlord and you're trying to stamp out the good and uh, it's like very heavy on parodying a lot of generic fantasy cliches to the point where it's almost, I'd call it a cliche parody or something like that mm -hmm. but I've been enjoying that a bit cool so let's, yeah yeah, um I have been playing the drive the RV game mostly. <laughs> so I was I was on my big ass road trip for 12 days. Uh so I didn't get a lot of gaming time in that I, I literally actually didn't play any video games in that time. Uh but before and after the trip I've been playing a little bit of Spider-Man Miles Morales now that I'm done with uh Final Fantasy 7 Intergrade. Uh which will also come up later in our uh, video game topic, which is an interesting thing. So if you're interested in more Final Fantasy VII discussion, that'll come up. Uh, but yeah, I, I finished the Yuffie DLC. That was pretty cool. And then I uh, kind of hopped into Miles Morales uh, a little bit deeper than... Because I, like, I briefly picked it up and played a little bit of it uh, when I first got it with my PS5, but then I kind of shifted to other games and, and focused Ghost of Tsushima and stuff like that. Um, and getting back to it, it's it's kind of cool uh, how it handles things differently than the original Spider-Man for PS4. Because uh, one of the things I really thought was lacking was the uh, collectibles in that game. Because, like, you go to the collectible... And you get it, and that's kind of it. You're like, yay, found it. And in this, it kind of gives you every collectible you find. You get like a little tiny backstory of why Miles... It's, it's all like time capsules that Miles left around the city with his friend when they were hanging out. And so you get a little bits of lore every time you find a collectible. And so that's kind of cool. Um... It's not perfect still for collectibles. I still feel like there's not really a ton of incentive to go out and get all of them. It's like, okay, that's a neat little tidbit of lore, and I'm cool with that. But it's not like, oh, I need all of these random things that... I, I need to know every random thing Miles did two years ago for whatever reason. So it's it's better, but it's still not like... A perfect collectible system. I feel like the biggest problem with both of these games is that the overworld is just kind of superfluous. It's uh, like it's, 
you don't you don't really end up doing anything yeah, with it. Which is a weird thing to say because so many people praise this game for its the traversal in the overworld. Because admittedly, it is really fun to be Spider-Man and like just web swing off of stuff and and like use your different web traversal techniques. It's it's a cool system, but at the same time, like once you've done it for like you know once or twice across the city, there's not it. It's like it doesn't feel like you're exploring at any point because you can just go over and or around any building in your way. You know it's. They're, they're not really obstacles, because you can just go around them, or or above them, or whatever. So it's, like, after a certain amount of wow factor of, ooh-wee, I'm swinging around like Spider-Man, after that kind of wears off, it's just kind of like, okay, now I need to walk to the next part of the story. And it, it pinpoints right on the map where you need to go for the story, which is kind of a problem in open worlds sometimes if it's literally there's one correct place to go it's like then why do you have the rest of the open world admittedly like that's kind of what a lot of open world games do and i'm hoping that more games will get away from that after breath of the wild kind of said fuck that idea just go where the fuck you want and do what you want uh but you know that's that's my personal taste thing too so but uh, definitely a good game. The The action is is all really good, too, because, like, right at the start, you basically have every power you had at the end of the last game, and then Miles gets unique powers to himself as you're going through. Like, he gets bioelectricity that you can, like, electric punch the bad guys, and you can turn invisible and shit, so it's it, it changes it up enough that it's certainly worth checking out if you like the first one and want more of that. Uh, the other thing I have been playing a little tiny bit is, uh, going to springboard into our first news and booze topic here. Um, uh, Kazuya released in Super Smash Brothers, uh, so I've played a little bit of him, and, uh, alongside him, uh, there were some new Mii Fighters, which we haven't talked about because the, the, I was on a road trip, so we didn't have a podcast, otherwise we would have talked about all these, like, last week or whatever. Uh, but the Mii Fighters are actually kind of interesting, I thought. Uh, you got the Dragonborn from Skyrim, you got Shantae, Lloyd from Tales of Symphonia, and Dante oh. from Devil May Cry. The, so, the only reason I'm sad about the Lloyd one is that means we're not going to get an actual, you know, Lloyd Yeah, one. that's what kind of stings about these. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that... Because Dante has been one of the, like, guys that people have been clamoring for, like, since they announced Fighter Pass 1. I've been hearing a lot of people like, oh yeah, Dante for Smash would be really cool. So I'm sure people are bummed on that. Um... Lloyd, I think, would have been a really great addition, and I'm, it's, it's almost extra salt in the wound, because it's like, this is the second character that I think, that I've literally been saying should be in Smash Brothers since Brawl, uh, that has got deconfirmed by a me costume, and I'm like, if it was a different me costume, I might buy it. But if I want to have a sword fighter, I already have Travis. And and the problem with that is that it doesn't feel like I'm playing Travis, right? Like, it looks yeah. like Travis. The, the me costume looks really good for Travis, and it looks really good for Lloyd. But 
you're not really playing Lloyd. It it doesn't feel like that. It's not the same feeling of actually getting your favorite character in there. So it is kind of disappointing. And on the other hand, I am like happy that these characters are getting some representation, even if they don't get like in. But it's it's kind of that double edged sword, you know. You're just like, I like it, but but I'm never going to fucking use it. <laughs> Like, I bought the Travis costume, and I tried a couple of different customizations for the me, and it's just like, I couldn't get one that even remotely feels like Travis. And that's the best part to me about Super Smash Brothers is that so many of these characters feel like you just, like, they were ripped out of their game and put into Smash Brothers because there's that much attention to detail in their movesets and stuff like that. So, it's just like, come on, man. But it is cool that they're there. Uh, I think the Dragonborn is a really good one, too. Uh, just, I, I think that's one that works better as a me costume, because the Dragonborn isn't really a character. Yeah, you just get the equipment. Yeah. After I've been playing a little bit of Shantae recently, too, I would really like Shantae as a full character, but it's like she's a slightly lesser-known indie character, probably didn't have a lot of a chance to get in anyway so the fact that she's in in any way is is like that's really cool um have you played any of the uh sorry go ahead uh go ahead have you played any of kazuya or did you get any of the fighter passes uh i do have the fighter pass i haven't uh played kazuya Hmm. yeah he's he's kind of interesting he's not really my style but he's he really feels unique. Um, and this is coming from a guy who really just doesn't give a shit about Tekken. Uh, I've played a Tekken game, and it was, like, fine. It was Tekken Tag Tournament on PlayStation 2. And, like, I've just never had any affinity for the series. But, like, playing him in Smash, he's, like, he feels different. He feels like he is his own thing. And so I'm kind of like, this is actually kind of cool. I, I really like that he's in here for the the fans that want him. And I'm sure he feels as true to Tekken as he can. It's kind of weird, though, because a lot of people are saying he's, like, really slow. And he's one of the heavier characters on the roster. And I'm like, dude, I mean Ike. I don't care. <laughs> he's fast as shit compared to Ike. <laughs> he's slow compared to maybe his Tekken. Tekken incarnation. I, I don't know. Uh, it's been literal decades since the last time I played a Tekken game. So. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm coming from. But also, people are saying that I, I think in the Sakurai Presents trailer or something, Sakurai said that um, he had to speed up uh, r basically the relative speed of Super Smash Brothers versus the relative speed of Tekken is like, he sped up uh, Kazuya's moveset like five times faster than it is in Tekken and it still was too slow for Super Smash Brothers so it sounds like a lot of attention went into this to make it like still feel the same even though it the games play so much faster <clears throat> so that's kind of cool that's all I gotta say on that um, here's another thing next piece of news and booze is that River City Girls 2 has been announced for oh, yeah. 
PlayStation 4 and 5, Switch, PC, and Xbox. So basically everything. Um, I've been playing a bit of River City Girls. Uh, my brother came over the other day and uh, we were playing that just sitting on the couch doing co-op. And it is so much better that way than it is like by yourself. So I'm excited for, you know, next time I can get together with my brother and knock the rest of that game out or, or you know, another chunk of it at least. Because we, we got through like three bosses or something. I don't know how long this game is. I don't, it's a beat-em-up, so I assume it's not super long, but. Yeah, it, it's it's not a super long game, but it's mm -hmm. definitely, that, that's kind of one of my regrets is that I played it kind of in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, so I never never had an opportunity to yeah. play with friends. Yeah, I think this one's uh, River City Girls 2 is going to have uh, online co-op as one of the things. So maybe we can do a co-op stream or something or, or just get together on Saturday night or something and, you know, something. That'd be cool. I would totally love to play River City Girls 2 with you. It will be awesome. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I'm totally loving the first one because I played it a little bit by myself and I was like, this is neat, uh, but... I'm not, like, amazing at beat-em-ups, I guess. I, I don't remember the last time I played a beat-em-up outside of an arcade. And, like, arcades don't exist much anymore. It's like it's very few and far between that I actually play any beat-em-ups. And it, it just doesn't have the same feeling if you're not playing with somebody. Speaking of beat-em-ups, I did also get an email that my Scott Pilgrim is going to ship soon. So oh, nice. finally we can fucking play Scott Pilgrim together. That'll be great. Uh, be able to play that together yeah. for the first time in, I think, an actual decade. Probably, because the last time I played was at your house on your PS3. Because <laughs> at that time, you were the guy I knew with a PS3. Yes. Because, you know, nobody bought PS3. Who the fuck buys a PS3? Right. I mean, it was actually a relatively successful system, but, like... Nobody talks about the PS3 as much as they do. Like, like I feel like, I feel like the PS3 sold better than the Xbox 360. But the Xbox 360 is like the one that everybody talks about more, and the Wii especially because the Wii was like the clear like dominant console that generation, sales wise at least. Obviously, you could you know go into technical things and shit all over it, but you know. Uh, The Witcher Season 2 is premiering on Netflix December 17th. Uh, have you checked out that Witcher show there? Toss a coin to your Witcher. I, I feel like I'd need to play the games to enjoy it. I think it does uh, a good I, job I, of presenting itself, uh, at least the first season, does a good job of presenting itself to just whoever. Um, and... Uh, because I've only played a little bit of Witcher 3, and then I uh, I think that was after I watched the whole first season of The Witcher. And so Witcher 3 is, like, further in the future than the series takes place in the timeline, I think. Because uh, it, it, it seems like there's some characters I'm recognizing from the series that are, like, obviously in totally different scenarios than they were in the... In the, in the series, uh, or in the game, but between the game and the series, they're in totally different places. So I'm like, I guess this is further forward in the timeline is what it seems. And then I, I started to read one of the, the first Witcher book, 
and that was like beat for beat identical to the Witcher show. So it seems to be taking a lot actually after the books rather than the games from what I can tell. Although I, again, I haven't played Witcher one or two and I've kind of barely touched three. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited for this. It's a really well-produced, uh, show it. I mean, well-produced is a kind of a weird way to put it. Well scripted, directed and acted show. Let's say that. Cause it's some of the, some of the production values are like weirdly, uh, dissonant. Like, some of the costumes are like, oh my god, that looks so good. And some of them are like, did you just ask the actors to bring their own, like, Renaissance Festival costume? <laughs> very variable production quality. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. Which is, it's not, I didn't mind it as much as some people, but there's, it's, it's a thing that, you know, depending on who you ask, some people are just, like, really upset by the costume work in that show. Um, here's something I am super fucking hyped for. Ghost of Tsushima Director's Cut is announced for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. It's an enhanced version of the game. It's got a new DLC area, upgraded animations, and PlayStation 5 exclusive features, including haptic feedback and adaptive triggers, as well as additional display modes. Uh, so it's got different things that, uh, whether you want to target 4K or you want to target 60 FPS, it sounds like you can customize that a little better. Uh, maybe it's adding ray tracing too. I didn't read all the details of the display modes, but it, that's that's the kind of thing that I got from what I was taking away. My, my, my big takeaway from this is that this game is getting DLC and it's getting a big new area to explore and new enemies to fight with a new story attached to it. So that's what I'm really hyped for. I'm... I'm super excited for that. That comes out um, August sometime, I think. You you kind of played the shit out of that game. I right? did play the shit out of that game. I I came like this close to getting platinum, and then I th the last like three or four trophies I need are like hidden trophies, so it doesn't tell you exactly what they are. And I I googled them. I was like, what are these? Just so I can see. And and they were like slightly more arduous than I felt like was worth it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I played something like 60 hours of that game and I was like, just, I am so ready for more, even though I just finished it. I'm like, yes, give me more. This is, this is the game that for me will define the PlayStation 4 generation. It is the best game on the console. So super excited for that and i think it's kind of cool that it's coming to playstation 4 and 5 because uh, that's one of the things that some people had issue with the final fantasy 7 integrate is that it's only for playstation 5 uh so you can't play the yuffie dlc on playstation 4 but in this case you can play the the new expansion to ghost of tsushima on playstation 4 so i think i think that's kind of cool just to let more people be able to play it and explore the new areas and stuff like that yeah it's uh it's definitely good to have that yeah good to have it on i gotta say that still hearing about the uh uh, the uh, Yuffie DLC being PS5 exclusive bothers me. 
kind of a... It is weird, because it launched as a PlayStation 4 exclusive game. And it's, like, I would understand, like, of course the PlayStation 5 upgrades are exclusive to PlayStation 5, because a PlayStation 4 can't do that. It's not as good of a machine, right? So that makes sense. But the DLC specifically being locked behind a PS5 was kind of shitty, I thought. But at the same time, I bought my fucking PS5 just so I could play that DLC, so I'm a sellout and I fucking know it. So I, I don't know that I have ground to stand on on that, but it's kind of how I look at it. I'm like, it's shady, but it got me to buy a PS5, so I don't know. Oh it's a weird, weird scenario. But... Uh- I don't like that you have to buy a PS5 to do it, but uh, I'm not. I'm not gonna blame you for picking it up for again to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a uh, square that has the problem here. Yeah, because I feel like I don't think there's anything now that I've completed it that couldn't have theoretically just been done in the PlayStation 4 version? In the Ufi DLC specifically? So I, I, I don't really see why the Ufi DLC is, is locked behind PS5 exclusivity. Other than, I guess they just didn't want to, or they thought they'd get more... They can't think they'll get more sales by putting it on one console instead of two, can they? I don't know. Maybe they have a deal with Sony... So Sony gets to sell more PS5s? I don't know. It's a weird scenario. That is usually the story behind exclusivity deals. Yeah, but with DLC, it's kind of a weird scenario, and I'm not sure if that would be uh, a thing. But it could be. I don't know. But again, it's it's also a weird thing, because we're like most of a year into this console life cycle... And, like, there's very little PlayStation 5 exclusive content. Like, there's a lot of PlayStation 5 upgraded content. But, like, the only PlayStation 5 exclusive game, I think, is Demon's Souls. You can get Miles Morales on PS4. You can get, you know, Final Fantasy VII Remake and Ghost of Tsushima, obviously, on PS4. That's where they came out. And, and so many of these games, even, like, games like next month, Kena is coming out, and that's PS4 and PS5. Uh, there's, like, a lot of things coming out. So I guess maybe it could just be if Sony wanted to do an exclusivity deal to have something else to help push their system, which it... It's selling well enough that I don't think they really need that, but I don't know. It's Again, it's just a weird scenario. I don't know what to make of this. Uh, remember a few months ago when we talked about that copy of Mario Brothers selling for 600000 something dollars? So I, I hear it got beat out. It got beat out by a much better game, The Legend of Zelda. A sealed copy sold at auction for $870,000, making it the most expensive video game ever sold. Holy crap. This is insane. Like, I cannot imagine spending that much money on a game that I would probably never play, right? 
Yeah, on a collector's item of all things. Yeah. Like, I would like to have... Like, I don't know where my old NES copy of... I bought an NES copy of The Legend of Zelda at one point, and I had it for a long time, and now I don't know where it is, and I would like another one. And if I had just the money to drop, I would love to buy a sealed-in box, but, like, I also don't see the point in buying a video game you're not gonna play. Right? Yeah. So, like, uh, I probably actually wouldn't. Especially if it was $870,000, I'd be like, no, I'm gonna go get a, a used copy for, like, 40 however much it goes for now. I don't remember. I think I bought mine for, like, 20 bucks. That was a long time ago, but, you know, I can't imagine it's much more than 40 or 50 bucks now. Just, just estimating. I, I have no fucking clue. Um... But, yeah. I'm happy that it's The Legend of Zelda that has the world record now. Because... But at the same time, I'm kind of sad that somebody spent $870,000 to not play a video game. That's a weird thing to do. (laughs) So you gotta have mixed feelings on that one. Mm Mm-hmm. And our last piece of news and booze is the Switch Pro is real-ish. Uh, so Actually confirmed? It's not a Switch Pro. It's the Switch OLED model has been announced. That's literally the name is Nintendo Switch OLED model, which is not a good name. <laughs> but it's it has a better kickstand, a better screen. The only internal thing that is changed as far as i can tell is it now has 64 gigabytes of internal memory instead of 16 so that's a nice upgrade if you're like a digital gamer on switch mostly and the new it it has a new dock which this switch will work with old docks and old switches will work with this dock so that's kind of a nice just back and forth thing uh but the only real difference between this dock and the other dock is this one has a built-in uh ethernet port so you don't need a dongle so this is a weird thing because i feel like if you are the kind of gamer who is that obsessed with or that really needs to play online enough that it's worth network cabling instead of using wi-fi then you probably already have this dongle right and in that case you probably already play mostly in tv modes so the oled screen is kind of superfluous and i also kind of look at this and i'm like the oled screen is not a big upgrade like i get that oled looks better and everything i've never used an oled screen myself so i don't know how much better it is or whatever but like it's still 720p it's a little bigger it's uh i think a eight inch screen instead of a 7.1 inch screen or or whatever so it's it's a little less than an inch bigger total and i would like a nice bigger screen it's basically the same form factor and they removed some of the bezel around the edge which I like that, but I don't want to buy a new Switch for any of those things. Uh, so I'm, I'm wondering who exactly this is trying to market to. 
I, I'm wondering if this is just like, hey, there's a better model of Switch now. If you don't have one, you should buy this one. Because that's kind of how I would look at it. Like, if I didn't have a Switch, I would buy this one instead of the other one. But like since I have a Switch, I don't feel like it's worth 350 bucks to upgrade. Anyways, that releases on October 8th and is $349.99. Uh, what do you think about all that, Chris? Are you interested in upgrading your Switch to an OLED screen? Not unless there's any particular... Not unless they do the thing where it's like, oh, there's old 3DS and then new 3DS, but that can only that can run certain games that this one can't. So it's like a halfway upgrade that... Yeah, it to me it doesn't even seem like it's like that because the 3ds to the new 3ds the new 3ds had a much more impressive processor and gpu so it could actually literally run games better and that was one of the problems that later down the line it ended up being like okay now some of these games just don't run on the original 3ds hardware and there's not many of them to be fair but i don't think that is a fear at all with this because most of the guts are the same like i said i think the only internal part that is different is the memory is upgraded to 64 gigs it's the same processor same gpu and all that and so i'm wondering even like even just on an OLED screen, how much better does 720p OLED look than 720p non-OLED? I I don't know. Is it worth a $350 for a new Switch? Probably not. Not to and me. That, yeah. Admittedly, like, if this was a Switch Pro, I probably would still be holding off on it. Because I'm like, mine works, I don't care. Unless they were like Zelda only works on the new Switch, then I would then I would upgrade immediately. But even but would, it, with a mid gen upgrade like this, like the 3DS to the new 3DS, that would not be the case until later in the generation. And then again, probably not with that many games, because it was like Xenoblade Chronicles is the only one I can think of offhand that only worked on new 3DS. I'm sure there was a couple others, but it wasn't very many. I would also say that that would be an incredibly scummy move to have a mid-gen upgrade and just be like, oh yeah, our... Uh, Zelda only we, works on this. Yeah. So I guess... A bunch of high-profile games only work on the new one. Yeah, I would be uh, pissed, you. And, 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 I would, and I would shell out the money. <laughs> just like I did for Final Fantasy VII, because I am a whore. Fuck you, and I'll see you tomorrow. That's <laughs> the uh, words. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah... Um, I'm not that excited about this. I, I'm sure there's some kind of market for it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be putting it out. But it, it seems like a weird move to me. So I'm not sure what the thinking is behind it exactly. But I'm not a business guy. So, hmm. All right. Uh, and with that, uh, we shall get into our table topic. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
And with that, the table topic now is splitting the party. Yay or nay? I, I and and I kind of want to ask this from the perspective of a dungeon master slash game master as well as a as a player. Uh, so, what do you think about this, Chris? So as so, I, I'm of two minds of the, about this. One as a player, one as a game master. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a player, splitting the party usually means you know, let everybody has less time, like actually playing. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, to an extent, I get that because you know you have to keep shifting focus, and then like if you're like if you're in two groups or something, and one's in this room and one's in the the other room, you're like talking to this group for you know five or ten minutes at a time, and then this group is like on their phones and and not paying attention. So you kind of got to regather them. So I, that that could take more time. So I, I I definitely see that as a potential issue there. Yes. Depend yeah. it depends on how you handle it though. Um cuz one of the things that I have found works fairly well for that is instead of swapping between uh like I'm going to do all of the stuff for this group and then all of the stuff for this group. Uh, what I do is I actually have players roll initiative and then I just like give every player a turn in the initiative to do some stuff. And it's not like, okay, I'm literally making you have your exact actions as you would as though it were combat. I'm just like, in a general sense, like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Which part of this are you exploring? What are you going to do? And I'll give them a small amount of time, and then I'll move on to the next player. And I think that kind of flows okay, because then you're kind of jumping back and forth between the two groups a little bit here and there. But it's still in an initiative order that everybody can pay attention to, so I think that engages players better uh, than like going back and forth group to group. Uh, so... That is something that has been successful for me in the past, generally. It's not a perfect solution, I suppose. You know, shit always happens, but... Yeah. <clears throat> Ooh, this is bad. You're focusing hard on your uh, ship exploding there in the dark pixelated abyss. Stream quality is not as good as I would hope it would be. Uh, at least on not the... quite ideal. Yeah. It got all, like, choppy and pixeled up, so we apologize for our cheap-ass setup. We don't apologize much, but, you know. Um, as a player, I think splitting the party sometimes leads to interesting misadventures, and... Um, kind of uh it, it gives you unique opportunities because like if i'm in a room with all of the players or all of the player characters then everybody's gonna chime in if anybody says like oh well uh, what what if we do this but if you're if you're in a smaller group then you might you know look at things a little differently based on who's in that group you know you got your cleric and your barbarian alone in a group then they're they might come up with a different solution than the whole party of six would or or, or however many there are uh just because like 
they wouldn't have the sorcerer there to tell them, oh yeah, uh, of course this is trapped with an arcane symbol or something, you know, uh, yeah. and different things like that. It it makes players approach challenges differently than they might if like just because when the whole group is there there's one of this is one of my issues with knowledge checks in D D. is if the whole group is there somebody will probably roll well enough to understand what is the whatever you need to from the knowledge check if you put a knowledge check for some reason in your dungeon anywhere if they're traveling as a whole group and you say everybody roll knowledge religion if you have it and three players have knowledge religion trained you know and one of them will probably get a good enough roll to get whatever information they need so i think it come it makes it more interesting as a player sometimes to split the party uh, and then, of course, also, sometimes you get into combat challenges, and if it's overwhelming, you have to figure out how to rejoin your party or stuff like that. And that, you know, that kind of scenario doesn't come up if you're traveling as a large group the entire time. Yeah, um, I, I do think there are, like, strong benefits to, uh... uh to splitting the party, particularly as someone who run, you know runs a lot of games, uh, mm. there's it's uh, there's always interesting things where oh my god, I'm not having good luck this run. <laughs> this game wants me dead. <laughs> Apparently. Apparently, much more difficult to concentrate than you thought it was going to be. <laughs> I, it, when when all this shit's going on, yeah, I, I think the game is over for me. I think I I think I've died here. <laughs> nice. Well, I'll throw in yeah. a beer review to give you some uh, leeway because this. My yeah, this um, yeah, we we got a drink to your death. But this cow in a coal mine is a surprising winner. Um, I like this pretty pretty damn well. This was also my side of the road beer when my. RV blew a tire, uh, and I was sitting there waiting for AAA for fuck ever, and uh, I had a four-pack of beer, because I had just gone to the, it, just a random convenience store that I bought this beer at right before we blew a tire, um, so yeah, cow in a coal mine, if you're, if you're close to Poison Montana, check it out. Uh, apparently a lot of Montana breweries don't distribute very far because I think the only Montana brewery I ever really see around here is Big Sky, which is a pretty big one. And I, I very rarely see beer from Montana in Colorado other than that. So I'm glad I got something on my trip. And that's a good stout. It's a nice, uh, smooth uh, mouthfeel on it. And it's got kind of a finish almost like... Um, in a weird way, it, it's kind of like burnt coffee, but in a good way, if that makes sense. It's no, like I, roasty I and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good beer. Right. Um, back to our topic. Um, as a GM, I don't ever, like, try to split the party 
I just assume they're going to be together through most of it. And then every now and then you wander off on your own. <laughs> Which ends up being the problem most of the time if the party is split. Um, but yeah, I'm not like the kind of DM that's like, oh yeah, I'm going to make the party split. Every now and then I'll throw in something that might split the party. Um, I, I built a Zelda-themed uh, dungeon one time that you were you you played in this and you remember I put in the wall masters yeah and and that that tripped everybody up for a little while because I think I don't think you had any kind of like telepathic communication or anything uh, so you had no idea where the wall masters had taken them but I I made this uh, instead of having it like in the actual Zelda games where it'll like just dump you at the start of the dungeon, I actually like would roll dice to see uh, what room in the dungeon they would drop you. So you could be in any random place and sometimes uh, depending on how it rolled, I think you could actually get like to a place where you were stuck until another one of the player characters solved the puzzle on the floor above you. And that was something I was afraid of, like, if I if I totally got all of you with the Wallmasters and put you on the next floor down, then it might have, like, caused a game-breaking glitch where nobody could get through anymore. And then I would have had an interesting time figuring out how the hell I would deal with that. But it didn't happen that way, so I, I was like, all right. <laughs> I will say, as a DM, when I'm running the game, I definitely have a lot of fun watching the interactions uh, happen when the party is split or when one or two people are split off from the main mm -hmm. group. Uh, but it, it's... But as a player, it's like, not not that I don't enjoy, like, the split-off stuff, but I feel like the, the big risk is still the same thing I mentioned at the start there, which is um, that people are just not playing the game. They get bored. They, like, they, like, do something else, and they, like, lose focus, right? Yeah. So, yeah, there's not much you can do about that. Uh, like I said, you know, if you put it in initiative order and make sure turns don't take too long until the next person, then it, it can help. But, you know, depending on your group, that might just, like, not work as well. I don't know. It, it might not work for everybody, and it might not work for every situation either. Because then, you know... What happens when, you know, one side of the party does get into combat or something? Then you do have to pay attention to the actual rules of initiative, and that could potentially bog down the other side of the party, you know, in their exploration or uh, if they're going to go, if, you know, if they hear the combat in the next room or something, then they'd all have to rush in or something, depending. And so that, that, that could be an issue too. So no matter what you do, it's not necessarily an ideal situation as a GM. I think it's something that you can work around and, you know, keep it interesting. Uh, do you think there's ever a time where it is appropriate to like shoehorn in a party split? Is that ever been a thing that you've done? Uh, depends on what you mean by shoehorn. Like, forcefully make the party get split up somehow for the purpose of the dungeon design or for the story or something like that. 
I almost wanted to say no, and then I remembered that I'm actually doing that all the time whenever, like, our party, uh, the party in my Sunday games is, like, wandering off. Hmm. Uh. So. They. So, yes, I think, I think there is a place for that. Mm Hmm. I've never actually done it, but I feel like if you designed a dungeon around that idea mechanically, I think you could make a really unique dungeon, as long as, again, you retained focus somehow. Uh, that would be the challenge there, of course. But I think there's a lot of potential for, like, maybe some kind of two-sided dungeon where part of the party's on this side and part of the party's on this side, and they have to, you know... Uh, solve different puzzles to go down deeper into the underground chambers or something, or or up into the mage tower, whatever the fuck it is. But I, I think there's a lot of potential. Now that I'm... I've never really thought about this, actually, uh, but I think that could make a really cool dungeon, and now I feel like I need to design such a dungeon at some point that involves the party being split on purpose. Yeah. Um, it does sound like a cool dungeon um let's see so yeah in in my games it's been happening more organically where one where a, one party member or like a couple party members wander into an area of the dungeon mm-hmm. where it's not easy to like communicate what's going off on to them right and then I, like, pull them aside and say, hey, here's what's happening to you. But those usually last, when that happens, that usually takes, like, less than five minutes to resolve. Mm-hmm. And then I go back and I say, all right, you don't know what happened to this guy, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I've, I've no- I, guess, I guess I would say I put in a lot of areas where the party will probably separate themselves mm-hmm. naturally and then I just kind of play it from there I don't force them to separate themselves does that right. make sense yeah also from a player perspective splitting the party is usually is it from my power gaming perspective it's usually suboptimal usually if you split the party and you get ambushed you're you have a much greater chance of dying that's true. Uh, yeah, if, if, if you look at it from a metagame perspective, splitting the party is objectively a terrible idea. Uh, but again, it, it leads to interesting circumstances that you can, you know, roleplay through or that you might ha- that might even lead to unique mechanical play as well. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, do you escape this thing? Do you try and fight it while you hope your buddies arrive in time to help you out or, or you know... Well, what do you do from there? Which, that might force you into different kinds of terrain than you usually use. Because you might, like, if you're evacuating through a hallway, you're fighting in a hallway now instead of in a big open room. Uh, you know, that that changes it up. Because I feel like rarely in tabletop games do you fight in a hallway. Comes up every now and then, but... Most of the time, it's like you get into the room, and that's where the bad guys are. So you fight them in the room because there's not enough room to fight them in the hallway. 
Um, another interesting thing that I've just thought about is talking about hallways. Uh, something I have as a problem every now and then with my dungeon design, uh, especially because I use like random dungeon generating tools, at least for the map, and then I'll like add in like monsters around the room and, and stuff like that. But like most of my dungeons end up having like hallways that lead to these different rooms. And then sometimes it's like there's too many guys like stuck in the hallway and like then the melee guy in the back is like, I can't get through the hallway because I'm a dwarf in full plate. I don't have the movement speed to pass all of my friends in the in one round without like taking a, a run action. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Or or then the, the you know, the ranger has to shoot over all of his friends and might, you know, shoot one of them in the back or something, stuff like that. Uh, and some, usually they figure out how to get into the room effectively soon, but then sometimes, depending on how big the room is, I've had an issue every now and then where, like, I have still, like, two or three guys just fighting in the hallway and sometimes that's okay, and sometimes that leads to, like, an actual problem for me as DM, because then what should have been a theoretically interesting challenge for all of them is now skewed differently, because the damage is only being dealt to the people in the room, so it's, it's being dealt mostly to the tank and stuff, which, I mean, that's what tanks are there for. But if it's all being dealt to one player because they can't get around the corner to the warlock who's shooting them with, and then and ducking back behind the, uh, you know, behind the wall again, uh, sometimes that's led to challenging situations for me as a DM to be like, these guys really realistically should gang up on the tank now and kick his ass but as a dm i don't always feel that that's a fair thing to like punish the player for uh something i didn't think of in the dungeon design yeah it's uh it is kind of a oh god well this encounter just fucking killed me Nice. Sorry. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very rare that an encounter will kill me full to dead like this. In fact, I think this is the first time this has ever happened, but uh, the game just decided that I was having too good of a run, and now I needed to die. That's how roguelikes work sometimes, isn't it? Uh, not, not, no, I, I feel, no, I, I, I just, uh, it just knocked out my engines and then all of my weapons so that I literally couldn't do anything hmm. and uh, died. So, because I feel like I've had a few runs in like uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer where it's like, all right, I got a really great item. Now I can, you know, fight more effectively. And then I'll get like to the, like, through the first floor real quick. And it won't be much problem. And then there'll be like just a shitload of the big enemies all at once and like three guys charging me and I'm just like why? It's not fair. 
But I don't know. I don't play a ton of roguelikes. I'm going to play Hades as soon as it comes out on Game Pass, but that's not until October. I do feel like uh, most most of the time in roguelikes and ro- roguelites, like, you're not going to just die. It, the, the randomness is there to add challenge. It's not just there to screw mm-hmm. you over. Right. Uh, and I feel like even in this but game... But randomness uh, still it, has Murphy's Law apply to it sometimes, I think. Oh, it's... Most roguelikes, you can control it so that you can have, like, a really difficult run. Hmm. Like, randomness can make things significantly more difficult for you. You can get, like, no good items. You can be facing, like, some of the hardest rooms available. Hmm. Uh, but it's usually not truly unwinnable, I guess hmm. is what I would say. Uh, and right. I think that's usually the case for most of these games. Hmm. Uh, that was one... But with this particular... That particular encounter I just had... Mm-hmm. Uh, where it shut down my oxygen, shut down my sensor senses, shut down my engine, shut down my weapons, all within like a span of a few seconds of each other. Uh, yeah, I, th- that was a. There was nothing I could have done to have won at that point. Mm. That that was just the game decided. Okay, you die. Right. Where technically I could fight three dragons and whatever in Crypt of the Necrodancer. Well, it's in Crypt of the Necrodancer. It's like, yeah, you could fight if you danced perfectly. You could fight three dragons. Yeah. Uh, I think there was a zero percent chance of me uh, winning what the what just happened. I mean, right. That previous encounter, as in, like, no matter how well I would have played, I would have still lost. Mm-hmm. Which is just unfortunate. <clears throat> like, not great. Yeah. Any other thoughts on splitting the party? Uh, you gotta. I, I feel like uh, the biggest thing. I, I like your idea with the um, rolling initiative and then making sure to swap between like the group members. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good way of going about things. Yeah, I think a, a big thing is that the immersion can be at stake uh, if if the party is split. So it's uh, it's definitely something to watch out for. I I I do not I don't agree. I feel like um, I feel like it can be very immersive to be like, all right, you two are stuck in a room together. Like you pull separate out the two party members and I mean, you two are stuck in this room together. I mean, the immersion is at stake, not necessarily from like, that perspective, but like from a, if you can't keep the focus of the of the group, is, is what yeah, I mean. It's, yeah, it's as long as you're quick on the uh, swap, on the yeah. swapping around, I think, yeah, it can work out. I would agree with that. Yeah. And that is how to split the party. Um, yeah. I guess. If if, uh, if you're uh, if that's your cup of tea, um, yeah. I think that really is my last one, though. All right. Then we shall move to our video game topic, which means more bagpipes.
trophies and achievements worth it? No. All right. Good talk. Bye, guys. This has been a drink to the... No, no. All right. <laughs> uh, they are personally worth it for me most of the time. I feel mm -hmm. like achievements um, externalize rewards uh, when that should be intrinsic. Like, the joy of playing a game seems like it should be an intrinsic thing to me. Mm -hmm. At least some extent. Obviously, everyone lo loves like in-game rewards and stuff. Right, it's kind of an extrinsic thing, but that's still like part of the game. But achievements are like, oh, you do this thing, we're going to tell you, oh, you you achieve this thing, and I feel like that's kind of <laughs> wrong. And mm. I feel I feel like the I, I feel like when I if I I, I I don't care about achievements at all, so. I'm mostly playing a game just to have fun, but as soon as I know, like, if I was to go achievement hunting, I feel like the game would be less, like, fun and more like work. That's a good I'm way not... to put it, I think. It, it's a... Yeah. Because um, I go out of my way for achievements sometimes, but largely only if they feel like they're going to be fun. Because they're, they're kind of a weird thing for me. I, I very rarely go out of my way for them. But every now and then I'll be like, all right, that sounds like a neat thing. Um, I've talked on here before about how I have exactly one platinum trophy. Uh, and that would... I've also never completely got all the achievements on an Xbox game. So between Xbox and PlayStation, as long as I have owned either console, I have got one game that I have got all of the trophies for. And I kind of don't anymore because that game is Final Fantasy VII Remake and then the DLC came out for it. Uh, obviously the Yuffie chapter and Integrate and all that. And it added some more challenges. Uh, obviously with the Yuffie DLC is just its own challenge and it's got some achievements just for that. Uh, and it also adds, if you beat the Yuffie DLC, then you unlock a secret boss in the main game as well. So it's another challenge for the main game. And I went and I thought, all right, I've, I want, I want to keep up my platinum and say, yeah, I've got all the trophies in Final Fantasy VII Remake, even the, even the DLC. And I, I went through... And I, I went to the boss. That it's basically the the challenges. You get a secret boss, and if you beat him, then you get some cool badass items. But the most badass item in the game doesn't work against him. It just has no effect because uh, it, it it lets you enter battle with a limit break every time you enter battle, which is like so awesome. But by the time you can actually get it in the game, it's completely worthless because you get it from fighting the game's original hardest challenge. And then you've defeated the game's hardest challenge. So why would you need an item that makes you more powerful in battle? It's It seems like weird to me. And it's like... 
for going through on on subsequent runs it's kind of nice that i can just kind of walk through things and just be like oh yeah whatever there's a mini boss here just i push a button and i limit break and the battle's over okay so i can just see the story again if i want to you know play through the game that way then that's fine so it's, it's, it's neat for that, but then they add this big new challenge, and I'm like, ah, sweet. And then it's like, this is the one time that this item would be handy, and you can't use it. And then the, the boss's mechanic is total bullshit, too, because you can only attack him directly after you dodge an attack. If other, Otherwise, he'll automatically counter you and totally fuck up your shit. So you have to, like, get targeting him and pay attention and, like, dodge and then hit him. And then if you don't do a certain amount of damage before he gets to his phase two form, then you're just, you're just fucked. And he's got an ultimate final blast that literally just one-shots everybody in your party. It's, it's not even like Sephiroth's thing where it's like all of your party members are now at one HP. It literally kills all of you. So if you don't, like, do this battle, like, basically perfectly, it's like you just lose when he gets to use that attack. And I, I tried a good few times, and I was just like, this isn't a fun battle. I don't care anymore. That's <laughs> pretty terrible. Yeah, it's like, this is kind of lame. Like, he's a cool idea for a boss. The design is neat. But the fight is just bullshit, and it's not as... It's not an engaging fight, you know? Because it's literally a fight with one specific way to win. And if you don't do that and do it more or less perfectly, then you lose. And I'm like, that's not fun. Like, the other ones, like, you had to think tactically and... and you know, react on your feet to its attacks and stuff like that. And I think all of the other challenges up to that point were very interesting challenges. And then I got to that one and I was like, I don't care. I just don't give a shit anymore. I'm done. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, well, now I guess I'm not getting my platinum in that. I mean, technically, I still have a platinum trophy for the base game. So it's it's like, you know, it's it doesn't take that away from me, but it does take away my 100% factor. You know, so it's it's weird. Um, but yeah, it's it's also a kind of a funny thing because I know a a large chunk of gamers are big into this achievements and uh, trophies and stuff. And for an entire generation, I was a Nintendo only gamer, and I kind of forgot that they existed. Right, I I didn't remember that trophies and achievements existed. And then the Switch came out, and people were like. Oh, how come it doesn't have trophies and achievements? And I was like, wait, people care about that shit? Why? <laughs> I'm like, I've, ne I've never thought th that I needed achievements in, in a game, especially a Nintendo game, because, like, most Nintendo games, there's interesting content to go back for and do optionally if you want, which is effectively the same thing as achievements, Right? Yeah. If you if you get a platinum in Final Fantasy VII remake, that's theoretically just as much as one hundred percenting a Zelda game. Uh, probably more than one hundred percenting most Zelda games, because 
it, it, it depends on the game. But, like, you 100% Breath of the Wild, that'll take you easily 10 times as long, right? With all those fucking Koroks. So, you know, yeah, it's like... The golden poop. Yeah, I always wanted I, that golden poop. I feel like the golden poop is, like, a good example <laughs> of an achievement that isn't an achievement. Right? It's, uh... I don't know. Like, I would rather have the golden poop than an achievement that says collected all 900 Korok seeds. Right? Yeah. That is worth because... more to me. It is an in-game object and it is a token that you, you like, actually did a you thing. And it's, it's a dumbass joke. It is a stupid joke, but it's funny. And getting achievements is not funny. It's just like, yay, I got 10 gamer points. Whoa. They, I they'll match my other 45,000 so nicely, or, or however much I have. I, don't, I, don't I, I remember when achievements were first, like, a thing. Oh. A lot of, like, the old indie, like, Flash games, mm -hmm. uh, like, took the shit out of them for it. Mm -hmm. um, like, oh yeah, here's a, here's an achievement for dying once. Here's an achievement for walking to the right. Here's an achievement for jumping on the trampoline. Here's mm -hmm. an achievement for standing still and doing nothing for 30 seconds. Uh, and Some that, games still, still put in weird ones like that, and and a lot of games will put in like you, the first time you do blank, you know, uh, that was a funny one. The first achievement that anybody gets in Final Fantasy VII Remake is for winning one battle, which literally, you get off the train and there's a, a Shinra soldier guy, and it gives you a little tutorial pop up that says push square to attack. You push square and he dies. That is all you have to do for this achievement. And one of the fun, interesting things... I, I do think it's kind of interesting sometimes when you get achievements on PlayStation, or trophies on PlayStation, uh, is that it'll tell you like what percentage of people that played the game got that trophy. And I looked at that one, and it's like 97% of people that played Final Fantasy VII Remake got that first battle win trophy. And I'm like, so there are three... Out of every 100 people who bought a copy of this game that booted it up, installed it, and then didn't kill the first guy by pushing square. Honestly, I'm surprised it's as high as 97%. There's a lot of uh, achievements where I look at... They're, they're basically like you started the game and played it for 15 minutes kinds of achievements. Uh -huh. And a lot of those are like, oh, they have like 80% completion on Steam. <laughs> Yeah. So, on Steam, it kind of makes more sense because, like, Steam gets like crazy ass sales and stuff. So people, I feel like the Steam community is largely a bunch of people who just buy stuff because it's on sale and intend to maybe play it later. Uh, and then I they have never incredible so called out before, <laughs> and then they have these incredible backlogs that they never touch <laughs> because they'd much rather replay Undertale or something. Oh, so replaying Undertale is once you've gotten the true ending. <laughs> uh, it's considered like bad form, I guess. Mm -hmm. But uh... right, but yeah, it's... but it's I because so for that reason at least, I think it's more surprising on PlayStation where like, especially like this early in, like I don't think that game's got much of a price drop. I think it went on sale once for like forty bucks, but it's still a sixty dollar game. 
You know, you have to go out of your way and pay full price for that game. Yeah. So it, it seems odd to me that people would pay full price, install the game, which you need to put in both discs to install this game, and then boot it up, and then not kill the enemy. <laughs> it is... It's the lizard man's constant, is what it is. Uh... And because I realize I've never talked about this with you, and probably whoever's listening doesn't know what the hell I'm talking about, the Lizard Man's constant is basically in any pool of like the public, you can ask any question, and that question can be as crazy like, do you believe a secret cabal of lizard people rule the government and like all of the industry from like the shadows? And, uh, in any, in like a poll of the total population, you're going to get about 4% of people who say yes, no matter how, whatever you ask them. Hmm. If you ask them, you th- do I think the Earth is like actually Ronald Reagan's butt cheeks, uh, 4% are going to say yes. So I, I think that's what you're running into with this. Could be. For some reason, that reminds me of another time I almost 100%ed a game uh, because of Lizard Man, which uh, I, I really hated fighting Lizard Man in uh, Soul Calibur 2. He, he came up in a lot of the missions in the adventure mode thing, and I remember I beat all of the... every character's, like, story mode. I beat all of these adventure mode missions except for one, and because it was a fairly tough one, I don't remember what the hell it was anymore. But I I remember like I was like, all right, I'm gonna defeat this mission and see what I get for 100%ing the game. And and one of my brothers looked it up and he says, oh yeah, you unlock Lizard Man as a playable character. And I said, nope, not doing it. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not like, even worth it. Nope, because I think he was like a clone of another character too, except he was like really dumb looking and he was more annoying to fight for some reason i don't remember exactly why i hated lizard man so much anymore but i just remember like hating him every time he came up in the dungeons and stuff that game had a weird adventure mode thing it was kind of neat though i liked it soul caliber 2 is peak soul caliber yeah mostly because it had link It had Link in his very stupid throw. Yes. <laughs> My cheesy ass, easy to pull off, insta kill, depending on setup. That's why I yeah. loved the dungeons as Link, because in the in the dungeons when you got into those, they were all on the little tiny platform, and literally on the I think on the circle one, no matter where you stood you could you could ring out your opponent just by using that throw and on the square one it was like easy to uh set up as well i feel like there was a third variant of that stage but i can't remember what it was it was a rectangle or triangle or something i don't remember anymore i want to play that game version that made it a lot harder Hmm. But, uh, it's not really here nor there. Yeah. 
Another game I've had an awkward time with achievements, like I was just saying, was uh, Ghost of Tsushima. Because uh, I got most of the achievements in there just by doing everything and collecting all the collectibles. Because I, I got most of my achievements without looking up anything. Just naturally going through the game. I thought it was fun enough to explore. And it gives you enough tools to find the collectibles that you don't really need to... Uh, like look up anything throughout the game to get almost every achievement but on that the last few it was like you had to go to very obscure locations that are not marked on your map that you have no good reason to know that you need to go there and do some specific thing and i i think i had found two of them just by wandering around the map but i was like now that I have to like look it up and and go to a specific location, that kind of breaks the immersion of the game, which is one of the things that I really loved about this game is just the immersion of exploring the world and and finding all the different things. And I was like, it kind of takes you out of that to be looking back and forth at a guide the whole time. Um, do you ever, like, 100% games that don't have achievements, like Nintendo games or some stuff like that? Um, I gotta think about that one. Because, let's see, I don't know if Undertale has achievements right now. I think they didn't when they had, I feel like I saw that they added achievements in an Xbox presentation or something, or a Nintendo Direct somewhere. I don't remember where I saw that, but I feel like adding achievements was a thing that they did at some point. Maybe that was when it was added to Xbox Game Pass or something? I don't remember. So I, I can't say I 100%ed that game because there's a path that I won't take on it, but I played that game through... Like, as much as you can play that game through without uh, doing some stuff you don't want to do. Right. Um, like murdering everybody like a total dickhead? Yeah. Let's see. Because, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't go out of my way a lot for it, but if, uh, if I have a game that I really, really like, then, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll go out of my way to, uh, like, do as much as I can before I put it down. Uh, or I'll come back to it on a second replay. Um, I've hundred percented several Zelda games just because I fucking love Zelda. I still want to one hundred percent Breath of the Wild because I really want that golden poop. Um, but I think the last game I hundred percented was Link's Awakening remake, um, which I don't think I ever found all the secret shells in uh, the original. Uh, but it. it it kind of streamlined that. It gave you that little shell detector thing in the in the remake, so it was that part was a little easier. Although there was also more shells in the remake. I think I think they added like a dozen shells or something to make it a little and, and to give you more rewards from the shell minigame collecting thing. Um, and yeah, I I feel like that gives the same amount of satisfaction as it would to like 100 per, or to 100% or, or platinum trophy 
a game that did have achievements, but it's easier and it's less bullshit. Because some of the trophies that they put in games are just like, you have to really go out of your way and, and do some strange pain in the ass, oddly specific thing to do it just for the sake of the achievement. Like, I remember uh, I used to occasionally try to go for weird achievements in Halo back when I was playing online on in the Xbox 360 generation. Every now and then I'd, like, look through the achievement lists and be like, oh, I could maybe do that. That sounds like it shouldn't be too hard. But it's... Some of them are, like, actually, like, difficult things just because they you have to have specific setup for them. Like... One of them I remember was like you have to be in an online game uh, and you have to kill somebody by running them over with a mongoose, which which is one of the ATVs, which didn't do as much damage as most vehicles when you would run over somebody. So it was actually kind of hard to kill somebody that way, especially if you're online, then they're also shooting at you while you're and dodging you and stuff like that so it was it was a very tricky achievement to get and it's things like that that it's just like artificially make the hundred percenting more difficult because like technically i had done everything in halo before that right in in every halo game i beat it like on the normal difficulty at that time, I used to go back with my brothers on co-op and do, like, legendary difficulty a lot. Now I don't do legendary difficulty that much. Uh, but, like, I had beat every mission on legendary. I had found all of the secret skulls. And, you know, that's, that's pretty much all of that that there is. I had unlocked most of the armor pieces in the ones that you could... I think I think there was one where armor pieces were just, like, ridiculously difficult to grind because you had to, like, get a certain amount of experience to level up, but it, it took, like, 25 games or something to level up one time worth of experience. So it was, like, you just had to play online for, like, days on end to get that much but it's like i don't feel like the achievements ever really were the defining moments in that time right it was the the retrying on legendary it was the finding all the secret skulls and stuff like that collectibles and things make games replayable or interesting to 100% more so than achievements I think so I I've never really got the mentality that games should have achievements necessarily over not having them like I'm not like mad that they're there for the people that want them but I'm like I don't understand why it's any better to have them than to just 100% the game however else It's it, on like I, I I don't know. So it's at best achievements to me are like just kind of something there that's extraneous, and at worst they're just like oh do this very specific challenge uh, to get this achievement, uh, but 
you're not going to have any fun doing it. Right. Which is essentially what a lot of what you just said. Mm-hmm. It's, uh... Yeah, and I feel like you don't even really get much bragging rights out of achievements unless it's like the Platinum Trophy, right? Like, yeah. I have all the achievements in Halo. That's that's cool. All right. I'll respect that. But I have most of the achievements in Halo, okay? So, <laughs> you know, it's like it doesn't matter until you do all of them. So it's it's, again, just kind of superficially adding quote-unquote contents to the game it's because it's, it doesn't really add content it just makes you do the same content several times in different weird specific ways yeah it's it it's not it's not an additive thing it's just something that is like it, i'm glad i don't have the achievement hunter personality because it just is a thing <laughs> That kind of it. It. I'm getting. I'm not getting uh, what I want out of the thing. I guess is what I would say. I'm mm-hmm. not. It, having it, looping way back around, hundred percenting something because you wanted the golden poop because the golden poop's like an in-game thing and also kind of like a joke. Right. That's way more enjoyable. Yeah. And again, that's like bragging rights, right? Like, yeah. I, I feel like the golden poop is equivalent to a platinum trophy in, in terms of bragging rights. And technically, you could not 100% the game and get the golden poop. You, you don't even have to beat Ganon. <laughs> you don't have to fight a single boss. You don't have to technically fight a single enemy to get all the Korok seeds, I think. I guess probably yeah. a few in the in the starting area, uh, in order to get off of the Great Plateau. But yeah, other than that, never have to swing a sword and you can get a golden poop. Is there a golden poop speedrun category for Breath of the Wild? I bet there is. I I would be very surprised if there weren't. Yeah. I love speedrun categories because they always come up with such wacky bullshit like nipple percent Mario. Nipple percent Mario. Yeah, it's a it's a Mario Odyssey speedrun where uh, they it's not to beat the game; it's just to get to the point where you can buy the no shirt clothing option and and unequip your shirt and and see Mario's nipples. I'm just like, who thought of this? And why, why is the speedrunning community so awesome? <laughs> I feel like a large amount of speedrunning people are just trolls that are surprisingly good at playing games and getting exploits and, and precision timing and shit. There is a lot of technical proficiency that goes into that game and also some very odd senses of humor. Yes. I want to say. Never change, speedrunning community. Never change. Alright, is that all we have to say about achievements? Uh, that's all I had to say. Yeah. They're like neat. If you like them, much. then go, go, go get yeah. some. 
don't, we're not don't like judging you. Yeah, we, but if, if you like achievements, like yell at me on Twitter. Tell me, tell me why I'm wrong. I'd love to have the conversation. That'd be awesome. Uh, or or leave a comment here, and I'll and I'll tell you why you're wrong, and then we'll start a flame war because that's how the internet works. I think. Yeah, flame war. Yeah. Or instead, we could just drink some beer. What do you rate that beer on a scale of 3 to 17? Like an 11. Above average? This one I like pretty well. Um, I'm going to give this a... Give that a solid 14. It's pretty good beer. Cow in a coal mine. Go check them out. All right. And uh, with that, I suppose we are to our final segment of the podcast, which is where we talk about inane bullshit until we say something really awkward. Although I suppose we could shill our shit first. Uh, so as always, I am your host, Spamoman. You can find me at Spam on Twitter. Um, and of course, my glorious co-host is here as well. Hi, I'm Chris Angry means. at the World Audet. Uh, you can find my writings on DriveThruRPG and H.I.O. Yeah, fuck you, world. Uh, yeah, fuck you, world. Uh, oh no. My shit's on fire. Don't light your shit on fire. Uh, but yeah, I wrote, uh, House of Flowers, and I co-wrote Five Cataclysms Core Rules Beta Edition. Uh, let's see. And eventually, we're going to finish that other tabletop that we're working on. Yeah. Because I, I actually went back to that, and, and I did some more stuff on it. Now it's, like, slightly more organized. We should like get around to that one of these days again. We should yeah. have, like, some... some uh, let's have a Let's Play, or a live... Actual play, that's the word. We should actual. do that one of these yeah. one of these days. We'll do an actual play of our system and one of us will GM and the other one will play like four characters or something. Create a whole party of ridiculous superheroes. Yes. That actually fit together because they were designed as a unit as yeah. opposed to a, a Or we could leave it up to the community like, and, and just have like Random shit. So it, so if, if you're watching this and listening right now, suggest literally any superpower. The four, first four tweets, uh, you can suggest themes to me for superheroes, and the first four tweets, doesn't matter who it is, unless I don't like you, in which case uh, I'm just going to ignore you. Uh, <coughs> the first four tweets, barring people that I don't like, those are going to be the superheroes. And, and literally make it like, cockamamie bullshit like like fucking shoots potatoes out of its nose you can make it whatever that is the uh, level of weird shit that we want to design in this system if you shoot potatoes out of your nose uh, what other things can you do with that nose 